This is Glenn Barth. I'm with Good Cities, and we've started this call series called Businesses Doing Good Conference Calls uh, with the thought in mind that we want to lift up examples of business leaders who are really putting their business to the task of making our world a better place. And uh, recently I was reading Time Magazine, and Alan Murray, the president of Forbes, wrote a short column here about the Dreamforce Annual Salesforce Conference in San Francisco that attracts more than 170,000 employees and is part sales pitch, part circus, and part tent revival. I have a hard time imagining 170,000 people at a conference. Uh, most conferences I do are, are, are smaller than that and, and highly interactive. But uh, during the opening uh, kickoff, Mark Benioff, who is the uh, CEO of Salesforce, had a two-hour keynote. It must have been really something because they say he was wandering through the audience in, in the Moscone Center, their Oprah style, spreading his unique tech message. And, uh, and what Alan Murray said he found most remarkable was during the first hour of that presentation, he barely me mentioned Salesforce products at all. Instead, he propounded his view that the business of business is to make the world a better place. And in this article, Alan Murray goes on to say that perhaps the most important trend in business today is that uh, business leaders are beginning to realize how important it is to make the business of business making this world a better place. And uh, with that in mind, uh, we are trying to c create uh, communities of practice throughout our nation uh, with business leaders who are interested in really turning the business processes of their business toward doing good in the community. As you might know, every month we hold a call on the third Thursday of the month at this same time. Uh, next month we're going to have, for instance, Kirk Brown of Ambassador Enterprises in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and, and Ambassador Enterprises has been a key part of the revitalization of northeast of the Northeast Indiana economy that's happened over the last uh, 20 to 30 years, and has been uh, well chronicled by the uh, by the Fed in their community uh, focus department. So it's been very interesting to just really see uh, the different businesses that have really contributed to the revitalization of Northeast Indiana. Kurt Brown will have a great message for us as uh, we interview him. And then on January 18th, I'll be interviewing Brett Strui and uh, Paul Turek of Caribou Coffee has led the way in really signing up for and being a part of the Rainforest Alliance certification that really focuses on not just having farmers have fair trade, but also focuses on the, the fair treatment of those uh agricultural workers who work on those farms so that the kids get a good education and families have good housing as well as fair wages on those places. So we'll uh, have a chance to talk to the leaders of Caribou Coffee about that on January the 18th. So those are a couple of, of the upcoming calls. Today's call, our, our guest is a, a partner at Epic Pie, a values-driven uh, investment bank that believes in creating a better world through business. Before joining Epic Pie in 2016, he held, a, he held strategy and business development roles with the Eden Corporation and Cliffs Natural Resources. He was also the head of business development for 
Infra, a, an infrastructure development company in Mexico, where he founded ViaPass, an electronic toll collection company, and deployed strategies to diversify the organization's customer base. His eight-year tenure at Walmart provided him with significant financial and operational experience in the global business environment. Um, he also has a, a strong commitment and is a strong supporter of the renaissance of Cleveland, Ohio, which, by the way, is my hometown where I grew up, although I live in Minneapolis now, and uh, I, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for Cleveland, Ohio. And through his work as the president of the Northeast Ohio chapter of Conscious Capitalism, he hopes to make his adopted hometown of Cleveland a hub where conscious businesses flourish. I'm pleased to welcome on the call Pablo Guevara. And uh, Pablo, welcome to the call. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, nice to be here, and, and thanks for putting this together. It's an important uh, movement that you're building, and we're happy to be part of it. Well, Pablo, tell us the story of, of how Epic Pie came into being. Um, sure. Um, so Epic Pie comes to being out of the need to change the capital markets and financial services. Uh, specifically, we're, we're looking at the investment banking process. Um, the traditional investment banking process was, decide, was designed for an old economy, one that solely focused on maximizing profit for shareholders. We at Epic believe we live in a, in a new economy. Uh, we think about it as a purpose economy, an economy where businesses are created to achieve a higher purpose, um, something bigger than just making money, and that are also looking to create value for all stakeholders, not just the shareholders. So in this environment uh, where people are using the power of business to solve the world's biggest problems, we think uh, we're a business that could be used as a force for good. And, and we want to uh, help people um, do this type of work. So as we started to look, more and more companies uh, were embracing these philosophies, Glenn. And, and we looked to, as we looked at these companies, they looked to grow, to expand their positive impact. They're going to need money. And it's not just uh, any type of money. They will need money that understands their purpose, that uh, aligns with their values, and we think this is where Epic Pie uh, comes in and does its part on transforming the world. Uh, what we do is we provide advice and guidance regarding financial transactions, such as raising capital for growth or uh, mergers and acquisitions or recapitalizations or even selling a business. And we've designed a process that helps our clients evaluate and select the best alternative, not only in financial terms, but also in mission, values, and cultural alignment. So just to give you an exam a sense of why we think this is important, um, there's been numerous research projects that have shown that over 70% of mergers and acquisitions fail to meet their goals. And the main reason mentioned uh, for creating these failures is the lack of alignment on culture and values between the parties. Now, even with this information, most M&A processes continue to disregard the importance of having uh, cultural alignment and integration planning. 
Uh, we design a process that brings awareness to these topics. Uh, so it's not left as an afterthought. So one thing that, that we always want to make clear to our uh, our clients and the people that we, we talk to is that we understand that financial terms are critically important, but evaluating values and culture and using structuring to protect them uh, and, and having an integration plan will be the key to long-term success. So and I would say Epic Pie was created because we have the desire that purpose-driven companies thrive so they can continue and inspire uh, and in exemplify how the power of business can have a profound impact, positive impact in our world. The role of the role of banking is and investment banking is so critical to the uh, to the growth and flourishing of a healthy economy. And uh, you know, I, I think when I uh, when I look at what you're doing, sometimes uh, people don't quite realize how important that is. I, I suppose once you're in in the business world, you begin to see that more and more, uh, being able to find the money you need to expand your work. Now, tell me, how do you work to understand the culture, mission, and values of a company that uh, that you're looking at as, as a potential acquisition for a private equity group or, uh, or possible merger and acquisition? Tell us a little bit about your process. Uh, so, so when we think about... Um, Understanding culture, mission, and values. Obviously, this is not a, it's probably more a, an art than a science, but we try to incorporate as much science as, as we can. Um, I, I think the main way that we, that we do this is by facilitating conversations and really having a dialogue between leadership teams that um, bring clarity to these topics. Sometimes, um, we are so focused on the business aspect of things, the financial aspect of things, that we forget um, to talk about culture, mission, and values. And, and we make sure that our clients and the counterparties that we're um, around the table with uh, have these conversations. But we've also developed what we uh, a scorecard that is basically a survey that provides us with a, a picture of the company's culture amongst different dimensions. Uh, such as purpose, leadership style, people philosophy, organizations make decisions, how do they deal with conflict and collaboration. Um, so this is something that we've put together with some experts in psychology and organizational design. But we've also um, been certified in other tools that are out there. I personally am certified on a tool called Denison, uh, which is a a survey that has had has been out there for many years and that many companies use to assess culture. So we are also, uh, I, I believe, the only investment bank in the world that has all its uh, partners certified in some sort of uh, culture assessment tool. So we can use our proprietary tool. We can use some somebody else else's tools to just bring a good picture. Uh, we also do external research. Um, such as, let's say, social media analysis. And we go through what the message the company is putting out there to see what their culture is, what, what they value the most. Uh, we conduct stakeholder interviews to see what are the behaviors and habits of a, of a company when they're dealing with, say, their, their clients, their suppliers. 
Um, and another way that, that we can assess culture is by doing observations of how companies interact, how uh, meetings are conducted, how they do interviews, how they interact with each other, what's their policies and procedures and certain things. So all of those things, Glenn, help us kind of put together a picture of what the culture and the mission of, uh, of a company is, and that helps inform the, the process. When we, you put those two things from two different organizations together, you can see some of the gaps uh, or some of the leverage points that you can find uh, on those dimensions. So really you're focusing on making a, a good match between uh, the private equity group, uh, the investors, uh, those seeking a merger or acquisition, and, and the uh, future uh, company that they might acquire or, or form a merger with. And uh, so, so can you tell us perhaps a, a couple of success stories? Uh, sure, sure. Um, let me just start by clarifying one thing. Uh, for those of, on, on the call that are familiar with investment banking, uh, you might know that investment banks traditionally have defined success as making a deal or closing a deal. We don't define success in that way. We think our uh, success for a project has to be aligned with our client's goals. So there might be a success uh, transaction even if there's no deal done or no transaction done. And, and with that in mind, let me, let me share with you a story that maybe in the traditional way, people might think, well, that, that, that wasn't a success because we didn't, uh, close the transaction. But, uh, we, we're working with, we're working with a client that wants to find a partner that can help him expand the impact of his business. And, uh, they want to grow because they're on a mission to prevent the spread of, uh, diseases. So it's not just growth by growth's sake. It's they, they have a, a huge commitment to their product, the quality of, of the product that they bring to market and the success of preventing diseases. So um, as we were looking at the project, we needed to make sure that the, the partner that we were trying to find for this client embraced the mission. And another very important thing for, for this particular transaction was that uh, we kept keep the culture that has been created in that company. So uh, creating the conditions for all current and new employees to continue to thrive uh, was very important too. So uh, on top of that, the, tra- the traditional um, criteria of paying the shareholders what they were expecting for their equity. Right, so we had maybe a three-prong uh, mandate to find the partner that would meet those criteria. So we went out and uh, asked uh, of interest from from the market, and we had several interested parties that met some of the criteria. And uh, I, I'd, I'd say that price was maybe not the main issue. Uh, there were some issues with how were they going to. Uh, continue the work. So we ended up with a handful that were willing to explore some transaction arrangements that would allow for all the criteria that the seller wanted uh, to be part of this transaction. Um, and we'll, we settled on one party that was willing to work with us 
and with our clients to find solutions to some of the things that uh, might be roadblocks on preserving some of the culture and it would fit all the goals. So we started to work together and as we as we got to know each other, negotiations progressed, we developed a deeper understanding of this other party and came to realize that there were some internal organizational misalignments on their end. And that would jeopardize the execution of the path forward that we had been discussing. So um, we had very honest conversations with, with our clients and, and with the counterparties, and we did some reflections. And uh, after an objective review of the situation, our advice to our client was to walk away from that deal. Because even though um, the, the price had been uh, agreed upon to a to an extent that the shareholders would feel comfortable with, the mission and the culture of, of this company would have been put in jeopardy if we had moved forward with that transaction. So we would say that's probably been one of our biggest successes, and uh, and it shows how we're trying to do this differently by really making sure that it's not just about the money, but it's preserving great missions and great culture so we can change the world through through these great businesses uh, doing doing their work in the in the community. Pablo, that's a good that's a really good example of of redefining success in uh, you know in a way that maybe some people wouldn't look at that and say, wow that's success. But it is success because you did what was in the best interest of the client uh, that you had and uh, and so that sets up uh, an opportunity for you to share perhaps another example um, of a place where you did uh, find a good match. So, so um, to, to tell you about a, a merger that uh, might have synergistic results or, or something that uh, has really changed the world in, in my view, Glenn, I want to use an example that's maybe not a, one of our clients, but some some, it's an example that most of uh, the listeners, I hope, can relate to, and it's the the Ben and Jerry's acquisition by Unilever, because we think that acquisition trend was part of the transformation of that of a big company. Uh, I think just to just to give a, a little bit of context, Ben and Jerry's was one of the first companies in the world to place a social mission in equal importance to its product and economic mission. Uh, and in 2000, Unilever acquired Ben & Jerry's, uh, but they were forced to um, use a unique uh, structure where they committed um, to keep Ben & Jerry's as a autonomous subsidiary. So they were not going to uh, integrate it with Unilever because they understood how important it was to keep the culture and the mission. In, in that same uh, idea, they created an independent external board of directors who was, whose sole responsibility was to preserve the social mission than the integrity of the Ben and Jerry's brand um, and to look out to some of the policies. For example, they have a leavable wage policy at Ben and & Jerry's, and so they created this external board, and um, they, they've seen been, I mean, this continues to go 
as a very successful company, Ben & Jerry's has expanded their impact. They, um, in 2012, they became the first wholly owned subsidiary of a multinational company to gain a B Corp certification. This is a certification that uh, a third-party uh, organization comes in and looks at your processes and certifies that you're doing uh, good work beyond just providing uh, economic returns. Uh, but we think that this uh, is, a, is a great example of how a good merger, when a merger uh, is done in the right way, can create a lot more value and can really transform businesses uh, in, uh, to, to be more focused on their mission and to really understand the impact that they have in the world by by the, the, delivering the products or services that they that they deliver. Thanks so much for sharing that story. It's a, it's an important one for us to keep in mind when we uh, when when uh, you're you're doing the kind of work that you're doing to to look at those successful mergers and see what really worked, and then also to think carefully about whether the parties that you're working with are going to have that kind of experience. Tell us a little bit about how uh, the kind of work you're doing benefits local communities. Um, so I think the most um, evident benefit for, for a local community, Glenn, might be that good jobs are preserved, and, and I, I'd say created and preserved. Because when you go and you find a company, uh, the right investor or the right merger partner, that's going to expand their impact. That's going to expand their possibility to create more jobs, to create better jobs. And I think that has a, that has an impact in, direct impact in the local communities. Um, on the other side, if you have a successful transaction, you can avoid job losses, right? How many times we hear about these companies, um, just not being not performing or not doing what it was intended, the merger intended to do, and they have to shut down, or they and that they have to move somewhere else, and I think that creates a lot of stress in, in local communities, um, where if you have a successful transaction, it can enhance the job market for that community. Um, at some point, we hope that we we can support and inspire more entrepreneurs that are seeking to solve community problems through the creation of businesses and, and purpose-driven companies with sustainable business models. So we hope that our work inspires more people to look at their communities and, uh, and find ways to use business as a source to solve the problems that they're seeing in their communities and move them forward. So I think that's how we, how we look at ourselves in, in terms of how we help our communities and how we can benefit um, local communities around the country. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point to make. I mean, I, I watched some small Minnesota towns here that are kind of one or two company towns, and if they, if they were to lose that business because of a merger or acquisition, um, it would be devastating for some of those communities. So it's, uh, it's very important work that you're doing to find the right cultural fit. We're going to uh, make a transition here. And uh, if you've muted your phone, we want to encourage you to unmute your phone at this time. 
if you'd like to either make a comment or ask a question of Pablo, uh, now's the time. And what we'd like you to do is to identify yourself, just say your name and where you're from, and then go ahead and ask your question. So who's, who's going to be first in this? I'll be first. This is Mary Kay. Hi, Mary Kay. Hi, uh, Pablo. I'm curious on a couple of things. Uh, so, um, when, what is your, how are you gathering, uh, companies right now in terms of getting the word out about Epic? And what types of companies are you reaching? And then the second is um, the levels of companies that you work with. Are you working with startups? Are you only working with mid-caps? What is your ideal business uh, that you are looking for, or do you have a couple of different tiers? Um, so we have let – me, let me start by answering the, the second part of your question first, and thanks for, <laughs> for the question. Uh, so we focus on the middle market, Mary Kay. We, we'd say um, we work with companies that have an enterprise value anywhere from $10 million to up to $500 million. And what I would say in this, uh, in this front, uh, another thing that I think we're doing differently is we're encouraging collaboration with other investment banks or with other groups. So when we... When you might be thinking, well, um, I need to have an industry expert or I need to have certain things uh, from my advisors, what we do is we seek to uh, assemble the best team for that particular project. So we are not experts in any uh, particular industry. We like to say we're industry agnostic, but we, we think we're the experts in bringing these culture and, and mission conversations to to the table. So uh, we don't focus on a specific industry. We focus more on um, on companies that believe that they are uh, in a quest to achieve a great mission, that have great cultures, that uh, view that as part of their business model and what makes their businesses successful. Um, so the first part of your question, how do we gather and, and Get the word out. Um, it's uh, it's always a challenge, uh, but what we're doing is we're we're trying to stay active in certain groups. Um, I think Glenn mentioned in the introduction. I am part of the conscious capitalism movement. We all are. Uh, both uh, Bill and Lynn are also participants in that movement, um, and so we stay in touch with that community. The, the growing community. We are a certified B Corp, so we're also part of that group um, and, and try to uh, stay in touch and see how we can help um, that group. There's another group called uh, Small Giants. It's another movement of people that see themselves growing businesses, uh, not for just for growth sake, but to uh, to make their mission uh, more prevalent, so it's but mainly it's by um, by tapping into groups that are already in this way of thinking, okay, and then your typical uh, digital marketing strategies, which we're we're trying to grab uh, our heads around because we're not very 
uh, savvy in the Twitter and uh, Facebook worlds, but but we're learning, and, and we always like to learn new things. Thanks, Pablo. And I know your your yeah. work, Mary Kay. Uh, uh, so if you have any ideas, I know you do amazing work uh, helping break some paradigms and help uh, with some marketing uh, efforts. So if you have any ideas, more than welcome to hear them and explore them. Hi, Pablo. This is Scott Barr in San Antonio. And a couple of questions. One, one is, what would you say the greatest challenge is that you're experiencing in what you're doing? And then the second one was maybe your perspective or thoughts on the Amazon Whole Foods merger and how that's going to work with the existing or the previous Whole Foods culture. Uh, thank you, Scott. Thanks for the question. Um, greatest challenge, there are many challenges. I think our greatest challenge um, that we are facing in, in, in our work is changing this idea that profit and purpose are mutually exclusive. Um, and I think we, uh, there's a lot of people out there that believe that you, this is a trade-off, right? You, either you do good or you do well. Either you focus on your mission and, and a stakeholder or you focus on making money. And I think this prevalent idea of an either or world where, where you have to make these choices is the biggest challenge for us. We believe in, and there's enough evidence out there from, uh, research conducted that when you approach business with a, an and-both kind of mentality, when you embed purpose and embed mission into your uh, business model, you become uh, a lot more successful. There's a great uh, book that talks about this, uh, Firms of Endearment, if any of you are interested in it, that show how companies that, that have a higher purpose and outperform uh, the S&P by, by many times. So I, I think that's the biggest challenge, Scott, making sure or communicating to people that it's not about um, leaving the financial aspect behind. We need that. Companies need money to survive and, and to be sustainable. So, um, But it's like it, you can do both things at the same time. Um, and, and that's, that's breaking that paradigm that we've been uh, brought up to believe that you can only do one or the other. I'd say that's our greatest challenge. As, as far as the Amazon and Whole Foods uh, combination or, or merger or acquisition, um, I'm not sure. I, I really hope that the culture at Whole Foods um, it prevails. Uh, I'm not sure how they are approaching this, if it's just um, letting Whole Foods kind of do their own thing and just uh, enhancing with some of the, the skill sets and, and the capabilities that Amazon can bring to the table. I think um, I, I, I want to think that John Mackey didn't take this lightly in, in finding a partner that would understand his mission. Uh, I know he's very committed to it. So um, I I feel like we we should be um, 
we should have high expectations for this combination because if we could, if you could keep the culture and the mission of Whole Foods, but then enhance it with some of the capabilities that Amazon can bring to the table, I think it could be a very powerful force to do more good and uh, enhance the the healthy leaving uh, style that that John Mackey and the Whole Foods team is, is trying to is trying to put out to the world. There are a number of large corporations like Amazon and Apple uh, out there today who uh, have put aside quite a bit of cash um, because of the investors that invested in them and also because of their success in the marketplace. Um, putting together a, a very large company with uh, and having them acquire a much smaller company that's really purpose-driven uh, has its challenges, doesn't it? It, it certainly does, Glenn, and, uh, and and that's I think when when these combinations are happening, it's really important. Hopefully, uh, someone in, in those companies are doing it uh, to look at culture. I uh, in, in my past work, I worked for one of the biggest companies in the world, uh, Walmart, and mm. we did some acquisitions, and um, <coughs> I didn't see it firsthand, but but I. But I was part of um, a group when Walmart acquired a couple of companies in Germany. And by not considering culture and some of the cultural differences that would come from that business combination, it proved to be a, a very challenging um, combination mm-hmm. to the point where uh, Walmart had to exit Germany because they couldn't make it work. So these things are are very important. They cannot be left to an afterthought. That's that's why we're trying to bring it front and center. So from when the first time you talk to people, uh, what are the goals? What are the culture goals that you want? Um, what are the traits that you want to preserve, or what are the traits that you would like your culture to evolve to? And how can you use these types of transactions and combinations to to make those? changes and to enhance uh, the culture and, and the way that your company works. But but it's definitely something um, that requires a lot of work. It, it requires a lot of thought, and hopefully some of these companies are, are putting that work and that thought uh, process ahead of making the combination so it, so it can be more yeah. successful. One of the things that's going on here in the Twin Cities is uh, General Mills, as you might know, I, the Twin Cities was really founded as kind of a mill city, um, especially Minneapolis, and, uh, and General Mills is based here as well as a number of other food companies. Their foundation has worked recently to provide healthy food uh, through a new food cooperative in North Minneapolis, um, and they've set it up as a nonprofit. I, what I would really love to begin to, to see is uh, ways in which a larger company uh, like an Amazon or, or, or Apple or others might really begin to look at some of the critical issues in our city. How do we provide healthy food in the midst of some of our food deserts right in our urban places in <coughs> our city? And, uh, you know, so if you have a merger or, or an acquisition like uh, happened with Amazon and Whole Foods, it, there's there's a perfect example of, of an opportunity that's just waiting, and I think once you begin to 
get get some market adjustment to the fact that that, that uh, a Whole Foods might be available in a poor community, um, I believe people will begin to use their food stamps in some new ways, and uh, their kids and families will be healthier because of it. So uh, if, if I had the folks from Amazon on the phone right now, that's one of the things I'd be recommending to them. <laughs> but it, it's important work, and, uh, and I think, uh, Glenn, just to just to add to that, uh, going back to Unilever and how they're how they're approaching business now. Paul Pullman, their CEO, is one of the biggest proponents of following the Sustainable Development Goals uh, from the UN, but also embedding purpose into their brands and. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm going to quote this number right, but it's it's public number. They they talk about purpose-driven brands being the the engine that is driving growth for uh, for Unilever. And when when you think about these brands, they are trying to solve something. Uh, it might not be uh, a, some uh, problem uh, in very evident problem, but they're they're looking to solve a problem or or have a bigger purpose than just making money. This is the engine that is driving Unilever to be a very successful company. So I think as we think about business and and if we can think on this both and uh, type of thinking and say this is a problem that I want to solve and and this is how I want to do it to be more inclusive to bring it to more communities. Then I think we'll uh, our our ingenuity will find some solutions. This is Barry Kay again. I just wanted to add a little bit to that too. Um, you know, we're we're referencing uh, product companies, but the service industry is um, is another outlet for doing good. And I will give an example. I think I heard Hawking Colleges on the call. Uh, you know, reaching. Uh, individuals with education is a good cities movement that, um, I mean, it's, it's happening already in the sense that education is available to pretty much anyone who has access to a computer. You have access to the best professors in the world, actually. But for um, universities, to um, seek out how do we expand our purpose within you know, it, uh, any any business can do good and uh, is is the, the message here and uh, uh, some of us have uh, more purposeful reach than others and uh, I just wanted to point out that it's not exclusive to to product you know we're referencing a lot of product needs but service service, um, including, you know, epic pie service to a certain degree, as you pointed out, Pablo is, you know, also doing that. But I interact with a lot of companies that um, do put purpose as the first. And um, having that double bottom line, uh, meaning, you know, having a message, having a, a, a being profitable and having purpose is is kind of the double line, bottom line uh, standards these days for every company. And if you don't have that, your um, your success is is not as uh, 
great as the companies that you have that double bottom line. Go ahead, John Boston. Am I off mute? Yes, John. Nice okay, good. Um, along the same line per education, and you're familiar with Rick Smyre, we're in the process of, through communities of the found that on communitiesofthefuture.org, uh, putting together a global network, both of, of, of communities under 20,000. Uh, it seems that those communities may be struggling most, uh, Clemens being one of those, with walking into the future with some of the challenges politically, but a uh, collaborative of about 10 to 15 communities, uh, municipalities, that are joining together to kind of walk into this whole future concept, the concept of good cities. So just put that out there for information. Uh, and it will be communities both within the states, Canada, and uh, the uh, UK. Have you, uh, so you've started to put this together, and uh, is, there a con- is there anyone that they can contact, John, if, if there's someone on the line today who might be interested in, in this uh, global network of, of uh, cities uh, of uh, 20,000 or less? A- absolutely, if they will contact Rick Smire, and uh, they can find Rick again at communitiesofthefuture.org. And Glenn, as you know, uh, will be glad to, to, I mean, excuse me, Rick, uh, will be glad to, to chat with them about that and, and even engage if, uh, interested. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate that. And that reminds me, I want to give, uh, Pablo a chance to give out some contact information if anyone on the call today would like to follow up with Pablo and, uh, and the folks over at Epic Pie. Pablo, give us, uh, some contact information if you would. Of course, Lynn, um, um, you can you can find us on the web at epochpi, that's E-P-O-C-H-P-I dot com, or you can email me directly at P-G-E at epochpi dot com, or just give me a call. Uh, my number is 216-472-6645. So um happy always to talk to people that are interested in this, and, and we think uh, it's important for more people. And, and I thank Mary Kay for, for making the clarification that this is not just about products. It's about services. It's about how we conduct our lives. And I'll, I'll just say we can also do this as investors. And uh, when, you're, when you're thinking about making some investments, and uh, and it might just be, who you bank with or where you hold your 401k, those types of things are also ways that you can support people that are um, and companies that are focusing on creating good for the world. Uh, that's excellent. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that and uh, glad to have the contact information out there. Who else has a comment or question here? I, I wanted to mention, uh, Pablo, I'm, I'm thankful you brought up the uh, – the investment piece and uh, of where we invest our, our dollars uh, really does matter. And there aren't too many investment firms that are helping people with purposeful investment. Uh, I was in a conversation, actually, a, a, a 
meeting, a fairly large meeting with um, key uh, investors in Minnesota and in the Twin Cities area uh, about two years ago only. And uh, I brought up this, you know, what are we doing with purposeful investment? And it, uh, the, the, the question was kind of, well, that's kind of a ridiculous thing. Nobody really wants to do that. You say you want to do it, but people don't want that. They want to return on their investment. And I gave a little pushback saying, you know, I think we have a big generation that is um, wanting to invest their money uh, purposefully, which are the millennials. And important is the millennials influence how their baby boomer parents see and invest their dollars as well. Uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of movement on the dial here because it seems to be the general um, uh, theory that people want most to make more money. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I don't have any data to support my theory. But um, if there are uh, investment um, firms that have uh, specialized or create portfolios that are based on purposeful investing, if you know of them, Pablo, please, please share with the group. I'm interested in knowing. So, uh, so Mary Kate, um, uh, there's there's many firms out there that are starting to put together products. Um, I I'd say the most, the one that comes to mind right now is uh, Calvert, who used to be a foundation. Now they are moving into the impact investing world away from a foundation. Uh, but Calvert has a lot of products out there. Um, I think part of it is, is um, we we need to be asking our advisors, wealth managers, financial advisors, where are these products? Because I believe they are out there. The more I I learn about this space called impact investing, the more I, I see opportunities. And uh, if consumers start to ask for it, uh, big uh Companies and, and financial institutions are going to provide these services. We just we've seen over the past couple of years, uh, Bain Capital has created an impact investing fund. Um, there's uh, BlackRock, another huge uh, fund manager, creating impact investing opportunities. So I think they are out there. America maybe not as uh, prevalent as and uh, as well advertised as, as we would like them to be, but I think uh, they're, they're out there, and the more we talk about this, uh, and I'll, I'll just make a comment, making this, is making an investment that is purposeful or sustainable or impactful doesn't mean or doesn't have to mean that you're sacrificing returns. So, again, I don't think it's an either-or proposition. I think it's I want to return, whatever that return might be for in your particular case, and I want it to be done in a proper way. And they, there's companies and there's products out there that could do this um, for, for your portfolio. 
I agree. Uh, it's more of that mentality of, you know, these private wealth investors wanting the safe route that has been traditionally the safe and best practices mm-hmm. of investing in, uh, you know, the gold star company. Uh, so it's, it's more of a shift in, you know, where, where can we get that double bottle line profitability as a consumer and provide as a service provider the uh, wealth management uh, uh, directors and the people putting together these uh, these funds uh, to it, it takes effort. It takes a lot more effort to find profitable, per, purposeful, profitable companies than it does to do it the way that we're so used to doing it. Um, but yes, I completely 100% agree with you. There, that double line uh, is. Um, is definitely doable, and as I uh, suggested earlier, most companies have it. It's just pushing it forward. So uh, earlier, Pablo had recommended a book called Firms of of Endearment, How World-Class Companies Profit from Passion and Purpose. Um, And in that book, uh, you said, Pablo, lifts up companies that are purposeful and, and that outperform the S&P 500 by uh, multiple times. Um, that would be a valuable book, I, I would think, to look at and then to begin to work with your financial advisor if you wanted to move in this direction, don't you think, Pablo? That's a, that's a great idea, Glenn. Yeah, uh, Firms of Endearment um, is, is, a, is a great tool to see some of the public companies that are out there um, in that you can, uh, there's public companies, there's U.S. private companies, there's non-U.S. companies, uh, but that I, I would recommend if you're interested in this topic of purpose and, and how, uh, how you can do good while also getting great returns, uh, that's a, that's a great book to, to read and to learn more about those companies. Yeah, the book was first written in 2007 or 2006 and, uh, there's a second edition that uh, is more up-to-date, uh, 2014 edition. Um, and uh, I might really mispronounce the name here, but uh, the author is uh, Ranjendra uh, Sisodia. Is that, that right? Is, yeah, everyone calls him Raj. Uh, I think just to make it easier, Raj is also um, a part of the um, – Conscious Capitalism Movement. He wrote the book Conscious Capitalism alongside with John Mackey after he figured this is, um, after his research in firms of endearment showed him that companies that have a, a purpose and uh, a, a clear stated mission beyond just making money uh, outperform the rest. So uh, he's got a couple of other very interesting books for those of you that are interested in the topic, Firms of Endearment, Conscious Capitalism. Uh, he's got a new book called Everybody Everybody Matters, the story of Barry Wayne Miller. It's a phenomenal story of a manufacturing company that has put uh, purpose and love into what they do, and they are one of the most successful manufacturing companies in the U.S., and, uh, and in the world by manufacturing in the U.S. So some some really good stories there that inspire us to do the work that we're trying to do. 
Well, speaking of that, um, we're going we're gonna to bring this call to a close momentarily, but I just want to say thank you so much, Pablo, for this uh, interview today. It's been so helpful in so many ways. And our, and our upcoming calls, uh, we do have a great example of a, uh, of a company, Ambassador Enterprises, that is focused on re the, the economic revitalization of Northeast Indiana, and especially at Fort Wayne, Indiana. Kurt Brown, uh, one of the founders of Ambassador Enterprises, will be on the call with us on December the 21st at uh, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern. And uh, we are very excited about that. And uh, I also uh, am very encouraged by what I've come to know about Caribou Coffee and their deep commitment uh, that is going to be talked about, uh, the Rainforest Alliance certification, their deep commitment to the well-being of the people who are doing the, the coffee farming around the world for Caribou Coffee. On January 18th, we'll be talking about how they're improving the lives of literally millions of people around the world. Uh, so when you stop in at a Caribou Coffee, you are actually uh, helping uh, people live better lives in the places where the coffee is being farmed for the for or the coffee beans are being farmed for that coffee. So uh, those two calls coming up, December 21st and January 18th. I hope you'll put them on your calendar. And uh, we like to close our calls. Just uh, first of all, by saying thank you, and then uh, Pablo, do you have any final words that you'd like to share with the uh, folks on the call today? Uh, just a, a appreciation for for their time, and, and Glenn, thank you so much for putting this together. It's always uh, I've been part of a couple of the previous calls, and I always come out of them inspired to continue to do this work because I think this is. Very important. So really grateful for, for your efforts and, and thank you so much for doing that, uh, that work. Well, thank you, Pablo. You know, as a nonprofit this time of year, it's always, uh, an important time of year for our funding for good cities. We, but I, I, uh, I don't usually make that a part of any of these calls. We are an educational nonprofit and we, we like to highlight ways that cities can become, uh, places that are redemptive in nature because we believe right at the core of cities, the reason people like to live in cities is because they are great places where we begin to develop good lives in neighborhoods, in the places we work, and in the places we serve. And uh, so I want to thank you all for being on the call today. And uh, as usual, I'm going to close the call with a prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Epic Pie and the good that they're doing in the world of uh, purposeful investing. We thank you uh, for the work they're doing with uh, those who have money, uh, private equity money to invest in business and the connections that they're making, how they're valuing the cultures of businesses that have been successful and are, are, are perhaps being bought or merged with another company and how success is, is really determined by, uh, by finding good matches that help those companies continue to be profitable and to benefit their local communities. We thank you, God, for this time and uh, for the many ways in which you bless our lives. Now we ask that you would bless the work of Epic Pie and uh, many of the, and also the folks who are on this call. Uh, we come giving thanks to you in recognition of this season of Thanksgiving. Uh, even just next week now, we'll be 
thanking you as a nation uh, for the many good ways that you've provided in our own lives. And, uh, and so we come to you today, Lord, with a prayer of thanksgiving and ask your blessing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you all and have a great day. I hope that, uh, that this day is uh, one in which you move closer to uh, experiencing what it means to live in a good city and uh, to experience God's blessing in your life.